all we were doing was telling the truth. It's not our fault that truth was ugly. Truth hurts. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Roar! Oh, I am so fired up. I am so excited because, yes, it's time for another edition of Lions of Liberty, your home for great conversations about the ideas of liberty. And believe it or not, this is the 278th edition of this, the flagship Lions of Liberty program here on your Lions of Liberty podcast feed. Of course, we've got three shows now each and every week. This one on Monday. On Wednesday, you've got Brian McWilliams' look at comedy, culture, and liberty with Electric Liberty Land. And of course, every single Friday, you've got Felony Friday coming to you from John Odermatt. So we've got a quite the mix here at Lions of Liberty. And we're going to have another great conversation today in this, the 278th episode of this program. And that means you can find the show notes. We're all linked to all sorts of things we discuss over at lionsofliberty.com slash 278. And you can't really have a conversation about liberty all by yourself. I guess you can, but we're not going to do that today. Instead, I'm going to bring in a couple of my fellow Liberty Lions, starting with the host of the weekly look at the broken criminal justice system here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, the aforementioned John Odermatt, Felony Friday host. What's going on, man? Uh, not too much. Just uh, hanging out, ready to talk about some some liberty. Ready to do a roundtable here. That's exactly what we're here to do. Talk about liberty. I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're on the same page as me on that one, pal. And you've you've been out uh, cracking something open. Apparently, what are you what are you crack, drinking over there? Cracked open a little, little beverage here. Got a uh, a founders all day IPA. This all is right. my uh, my go to for all things tailgating or anything where I'm drinking more than. One beer. All day IPA. <laughs> is that because it's um, it lasts all day or you do you drink it all day? What, what, it's because, the yeah, they, they sell them in uh, they sell them in 15 packs. It's a it's a session ale and you're supposed to drink the entire 15. Pack. Ah, the famous session. Gotcha. <laughs> and I, I heard some giggling in the background. So I guess I'll just bring in my, my other guest here uh, from the city of brotherly love. Mr. J.B. Lubin. Hello, Mark. Hello. How are things? Odie, how you doing? Doing well, man. Yeah. Things are things are going pretty well on my end too. Are you uh, are you drinking on any kind of alcoholic beverage over there in your end? Uh, just just a little tequila and ice. You know, I like to keep it simple. You do, you do. You love that that neat tequila over there. And I, I do. I guess I'm going to be the lame one today because uh, you know I'm three hours ahead of you guys. I still got some things to do today, so I'm drinking a, a delicious Lacroix grapefruit sparkling water. How about that? Oh, sounds delicious. Exciting stuff, right? What what yeah. kind of uh, tequila are you drinking, JB? I drink Espolon. That's it's it's fairly cheap and it's probably the best tequila under thirty bucks I've ever had. So I tend oh, to cool. buy it fairly regularly. So that's an endorsement on my part. If you want a cheap tequila that's drinkable, get Espolon. Just brush by my Lacroix water like it's nothing, Odie. Straight. You got to have more details about the tequila. Yeah, I, I really don't care what you're drinking if you're not drinking alcohol, Mark. To be honest with you, I, I'm gonna get the I'm gonna get Lacroix <laughs> to sponsor us because this is honestly the most delicious sparkling water I've ever had in my life, and I swear by it. I've seen it in the stores. Maybe I'll pick it up. Tell them Lions of Liberty sent you. <laughs> well, I don't know why they're not gonna know what you're talking about, but just tell them on the way out of the store. I honestly don't think I've ever had a Lacroix in my life of right, any well, flavor. Maybe that should be a New Year's resolution. Go try Lacroix. <laughs> Start drinking Lacroix. Yeah, maybe. Change, your, change your life. All right, moving along from what sparkling water I'm drinking, uh, 
you know, what do you guys want to talk about? Just kidding. I already have an idea of what we want to talk about because it's it's a topic that's been setting the internet ablaze in the last couple weeks. Uh, I would say since my interview with Nicholas Sarwark, but that's not really true because the interview aired. Uh, a couple thousand people heard it. There was really no uh, outrage that I saw anywhere. And then an article came out from the Ron Paul Institute, and it, it had the headline that uh, Libertarian Party Chair denounces Ron Paul and his support for state rights. And, well, it, I don't think that headline is accurate. That was by Adam Dick, a, a guest of the show, former guest on the show, uh, a guy I consider a friend of the show, a guy who does a lot of writing. Uh, I do take exception to his headline. I don't think it's entirely accurate. Um, it's not inaccurate either, but I do think it was made to uh, sort of, uh, you know, to to get clicks. That's what that's what we do here on the internet. And look, I, I do it too. I, I have headlines or titles of podcasts sometimes that are meant to get clicks. Uh, but in this case, I I think the term denounce is kind of a little bit a little bit over the top. Uh, I don't think Nick Sawar came on this show even thinking about talking about Ron Paul. Uh, just to recap, and by the way, that is episode number 275. You can, of course, find that at lionsofliberty.com slash 275, um, or just tick back in your iTunes feed, your Stitcher feed, however it is you listen to this program. Uh, but basically, I, we were talking about the Johnson Weld campaign, and, and we were talking about all the issues people have, libertarians have, with many of the positions of, of Gary Johnson and Bill Weld, and and... I kind of brought up Ron Paul as as somebody who we kind kind of been spoiled by. Um, a lot of us see Ron Paul as sort of a quote unquote pure libertarian. He's often referred to in that manner, and he's someone that was able to really you know ignite the fires of liberty, the the passions of liberty in a lot of people, including the people on this program right now. And uh, Nick responded saying, "Well, yeah, that, that you know he that's true, but even even Ron Paul." Um, doesn't always take the, the exact right position. And it's, you know, we, we can criticize him too. It's not like he's perfect. And, you know, you mentioned Murray Rothbard in that vein too. And, you know, I'm just paraphrasing here, guys. So you can go back and listen to your, to, for yourself, uh, if you don't agree with my interpretation of this. But, uh, basically I was the one that brought up Ron Paul. Uh, I didn't think Nick, Nick Sawark denounced Ron Paul. I just think that he brought up one issue, which he disagreed with him on. And and I don't think Nick really fully explained it in the interview, what he was referring to. So I think a lot of people might have gotten confused by it. I happened to understand what he was referring to at the time, and it wasn't something I was going to harp on. Uh, but basically, he was talking about Dr. Paul's support for states' rights, but he wasn't talking about it in every issue. He was talking about it, you know, referring to how Ron Paul would use the state's rights defense, even in certain issues, which, which really aren't very libertarian, such as, uh, really specifically, which Nick later explained in his live stream on Facebook, which we'll link to in the show notes for today's show. Uh, he was really referring to Ron Paul's support for DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act, and that really did federalize uh, the definition of marriage. Part of that that act was to take away the power of the state to define marriage however they may so choose. And uh, Ron Paul's defense of that was was actually states' rights, ironically enough. Now, there there are different sections of DOMA, and I'm not going to break down every single section of it, but you know his, uh, his idea was that you know, he supported DOMA because states should not be forced to take on, uh, you know, take on a different definition of marriage as well. So he he came at it from a state's rights point of view, uh, but you could also criticize it from from that same point of view. But that is specifically what Nick was referring to. Uh, He's re- referring to, to Ron Paul's support for DOMA and his reference of state rights, states' rights in reference to that. And Nick said that states' rights is not a libertarian position. And I'm actually amazed that libertarians are at all 
taken aback by that by that statement even you're, you're even really about, amazed you're, you're really amazed by well, that well i guess i'm not amazed actually because we've, <laughs> we've been doing this and having some of these conversations for a while uh but first of all is any of anything i've said seem inaccurate based on what you guys have seen from the headlines from listening to the show i mean am i interpreting this correctly and I, I, oh so, sorry um yeah yeah i mean i think everything you've you know some summed up there uh, you know I, I agree with i think that's basically what a lot of the uh, outrage was about, but there was some outrage about another thing Nick said, talking about uh, Ron Paul's body of work and a lot of what he's contributed to the liberty movement hasn't been for, I think, I don't know exactly what Nick said, but something to the effect of it's been for his own, it's been for Ron Paul's gain, his own personal gain, meaning that it hasn't it hasn't advanced the party. There hasn't been right. you know, a, a, a lasting, yeah. lasting legacy that way. And, I mean, right, rightfully, I think that should have caused more outrage than the uh, states' rights issue. Because um, I, I definitely take more exception with Nick saying that about Ron Paul than you know. I actually agree with Nick on the individual defending in, individual liberty every time versus um, standing for states' rights um, over that and standing for decentralization of power over that. JB, thoughts on this whole flap? I don't think we've talked about it once. Well, I. You said that it was a little overblown. I would say it was ridiculously overblown. I'll, I'll go even further than saying a little bit. All all Nicholas Rourke basically said is that nobody's perfect. That's that's what I got from his statements on Ron Paul. And that's pretty much all I got. He didn't condemn him or denounce him or anything of the sort. He was just like, sometimes he did some things that weren't exactly libertarian. And I'd be hard-pressed to find a politician, especially a politician who is you know, not a big L libertarian who is a Republican and does vote across party lines sometimes, maybe not as much as your common card-carrying Republican. But still, I saw, I was reading in 2012 when he was running, in the 2011 congressional um, session, he voted 73% with the Republicans. So I can't imagine those that entirety of that 73% of the time was entirely purely libertarian um, ideals that he was voting for i can't say that for i can't say that for certainty but you know 73 percent seems like quite a bit and considering the kind of laws that come up in congress i can't imagine for a second all of those were libertarian minded principles he was voting for so in the end of the game he's still a politician he's still a republican and he's still a human being so he's not going to be perfect and i think that's basically all that he said and everyone like basically lost their shit over it which I don't understand. And he did have some valid points, especially with the state rights. And especially because, like I said, Ron Paul is his own person and sure he has his own agenda. I, again, with this, uh, I guess, what I would say, this tract where no one's perfect, there is a, s- a certain amount of um, maybe self-serving you can see from Ron Paul seeing what he, like whatever, like whatever Ron Paul stands for, he stands for. But it doesn't mean that he didn't he didn't try to um, take his positions and take full advantage of them. Nothing that's wrong with that. Like you could set up a, a website and, you know, a news site and send articles out and make yourself known. Maybe someone can see that as being self-serving, but I don't necessarily think that's anything wrong with that. But on the reverse co- coin, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that that seems self-serving. Right. I mean, I think Nick was referring to kind of what you're saying that, 
look like Ron Paul when he like I why do I get emails from Campaign of Liberty? Why did I know about Ron Paul Institute immediately? Because I got an email from them. It's because I was on Ron Paul's email list because I donated money to him and and I you know I, I filled out forms for his campaign. So now I'm on Ron Paul's email list. So now I'm going to know about all all his organizations. Now there's nothing sinister about that. I mean that that's how you're that is how you're supposed to build up any kind of organization. You get contact information of of people that are interested in what you're saying and what you're doing, and uh, that's who you inform about your project. So I, I don't see anything wrong with that, but I, I think that's kind of what Nick is saying. Like, that's where Ron Paul's attention is on his own organizations, and it's never really been on building the Republican Party or building the Libertarian Party. And, I, I, and, I, and I'm not saying that it should be, um, but from the point of view of Nick Sarwark, the chair of the Libertarian Party, whose job it is to promote the Libertarian Party, uh, you know, from that perspective, well, you know, I think it's not an invalid criticism. I mean, I, but I think there was a flip side to that, like you mentioned, Odie, earlier. Uh, you know, whatever Ron Paul might have done specifically to, I don't know, get get names signed up for the Libertarian Party or the Republican Party or push people to donate further to those specific parties, even when he wasn't in, involved in them at, you know, at that point. Well, I, I think an important aspect there, Mark, I mean, just looking at this podcast, the three of us talking here right now. This likely would not happen. There likely would not be a Lions of, Liber- Lions of Liberty. There would not be a Lions of Liberty podcast if Ron Paul hadn't run for president in the, in the Republican Party. Right. And sure, it did you know, serve to enrich Ron Paul and build up his network, build up his mailing list, build up his brand. But it also spread liberty. And also, as you were talking about before, it also helped to grow the Libertarian Party sort of indirectly. You know, it steered people towards liberty who... They read more. They investigated more. Some of them went to the Libertarian Party. Some stayed in the Republican Party. Some stayed uh, unaffiliated and watched from the sidelines. And th- and that's that's all fine. Um, but yeah, I do understand Nick's criticism. Him being the Libertarian Party chair, his job is to grow the Libertarian Party. So obviously, he would much rather have had Ron Paul, you know, continue to run for president of the Libertarian Party after that 1988 run. I'm assuming that's what he would that's what he would have wanted and that's what the Libertarian Party would have wanted him to do, much like I'm sure Nicholas Swark does not want Austin Peterson to leave the Libertarian Party and run as a Republican for Senate in the state of Kansas, I believe. Right. And we can sit outside and, and, and that's just kind of the point I was trying to get at, Odie, is that there's the, uh, there's the quantifiable. There's like the what, what did Ron Paul specifically do to get human beings into the Libertarian Party? And then there's, okay, but how many people did he inspire to just become interested in the ideas? And how many of those people ended up in the Libertarian Party? And that, that one's a little, little more, more difficult to define. But, uh, but I think that, that's, that's where people are kind of, upset about, although this isn't the point they're upset about, like we mentioned. Um, but I mean, I, some people in the forum have mentioned that, that that is, like you said, what bothered them a little bit more. And I think that that's a fair criticism because, you know, it's hard to, I, like you said, all of us are on this podcast in one way or another, basically because Ron Paul ran for president and started talking about these ideas and, and sort of inspired us to do the same thing. Uh, so I, and, but hey, look, we're not running for office in the Libertarian Party. I mean, I am a card carrying member of the Libertarian Party just, just starting this past year for the first time, but. You know, how much do we do for the quote libertarian party? I don't know. I think I do some, I think we do a good amount of work for liberty and advancing the ideas and advancing the conversation. And a lot of people that become libertarians might end up going and joining the libertarian party. So it's hard to say it's kind of a chicken and egg thing. I don't know, you know, how you can really identify, you know, where it all starts. Yeah, we, we certainly didn't do that much to advance the agenda of Gary Johnson running for president of the LP. <laughs> 
What? I mean, Mr. Johnson's Liberty Hood. I think that's what per- – that got him at least a million votes, right? Come on. Yeah. What? Bashing him every time and, and highlighting every misstep and absurdity and, you know, basically roasting his, his, his running mate. Relatively fair. But they no, made he's it, completely they, fair. They made I'm not it hard saying, to be fair. <laughs> no, I'm not saying it was. I don't. I'm not saying it was Brian's fault. Don't don't get me it wrong. It was Brian's fault. Let's get he it. He was out. just he was just <laughs> highlighting all these things, right. but they were still there. It wasn't his fault. If if he didn't do these things, or if he didn't hold these positions, there wouldn't be any reason to. All we were doing was telling the truth. It's true. It's not our fault that truth was ugly. <laughs> That's truth a great hurts. quote. And. uh yeah, it's not our fault that Bill Weld was there with his red face saying, talking about, like, guns being weapons of mass destruction and, you know, talking about his good pal Hillary Clinton, that great kid, and how we got to stop Donald Trump at all costs and not and barely mentioning that Gary Johnson was even running for president half the time. It's not our fault that Gary Johnson begged for Bill Weld, begged for this guy to come be on his ticket. And there is a couple ways to look at this, because because from the political libertarian party point of view, those were probably all good things because you got more money, you got more votes. Uh, but, but at what point does does the, does it cease to matter that you have a libertarian party? And I, I'm not saying Gary Johnson was is so bad that he ruined everything about liberty and we can never have a libertarian party again. But there is a point, I think, at some point, if you nominate, say, Mitt Romney under the libertarian ticket or someone as, as unlibertarian as that, there's got to be a point where we just say, okay, now this is not even a libertarian party anymore. I'm not saying they're at that point, but there's got to be some line, right? Yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, I'm not sure how that what would happen if that line was crossed, but it, it should be pretty ugly, I'm, I'm sure. But uh, I don't know. Hopefully, we don't have to find out. One thing I did want to bring up to go back to the uh, Nicholas Sawark Ron Paul spat for a minute. You know, well, in discuss a, a spat. So many people are referring to it like that, which is just hilarious because I don't think Ron Paul has mentioned it and probably doesn't even know about it. Well, you don't does. think Ron Paul's like awake at night, just worried about what Nicholas <laughs> Sawark? He about? probably has heard about it right by now. Since yeah, his, I'd uh, be surprised if he hasn't heard about. Well, it. Well, since his, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. his, his RPI posted an article about it, so he's probably heard about it. Yeah. But I doubt he gives it more than two seconds of thought, and, and that's about it. He's probably mumbling to himself. Oh, last time I go on that Lines of Liberty podcast. <laughs> this, uh, one thing. Episode 200, I, people. Look it up if you are new to the show and have not heard my interview with Ron Paul. LionsofLiberty.com slash 200. JB, take it away. I'll say w- one other one last thing I guess I want to say about this whole thing is that maybe Nicholas O'Rourke, like like I said, he wasn't condemning Ron Paul, but maybe he highlighted a bit of a blind spot and – I guess, Ron Paul's libertarianism when it comes to, um, I guess, gay couples and homosexuality. Because not only was there the DOMA thing, but I, when I was doing some research on what he was talking about, I also noticed that Ron Paul voted for an amendment that would have banned adoption by same-sex couples as well, which doesn't really seem to, um, as in my personal opinion – uphold to the the ideals of individual liberty on the federal level well i'm not sure i need to i need to go back to the amendment because it was it was under a district of columbia appropriations act so i don't know if that was just for washington dc which i think it might be or if it was on the federal level so it's like maybe there is a blind spot when it comes to libertarianism when it has to do with gay people as far as ron paul is concerned but you know like I said, nobody's perfect. And if Nicholas Sorok wants to bring this up, I don't think he should be vilified over it because, you know, gay people are people too and they have their individual rights as well. And a 
pure libertarian, quote unquote, should be in the habit of defending everyone's individual rights. Absolutely. Right? And uh, yeah, and let's get let's dig into this issue a little more, because I think this is it's it's a libertarian triggering that we're seeing from this, the which is amazing. The idea the idea that states don't have rights is actually causing hysteria among libertarians who are supposed to be against states. Many of them say they hate the state. Many of the same people that say they hate the state are upset that Nicholas Sarwark said that states don't have rights, uh, which is just a total mind warp to me. Uh, but let, let's just break this down here. Now, maybe the mar- maybe the gay marriage issue isn't the best one, and DOMA dealt with that in some ways, and the Supreme Court ruling dealt with that, and maybe that's not the best issue, because I, I mean, marriage in some ways, like, issuing a license, that is sort of like a positive right, and I think most libertarians agree, ultimately, including Ron Paul, and including Nicholas Sarwark, by the way, both, I'm sure, agree on this, that ideally, in the ideal society, government would, would be completely separated from the idea of marriage. They would be completely separate things. You have private contracts that may, might detail your relationships, or aspects of your finances, or custody of children or whatever they may be and then you also have government that doesn't give a crap about that <laughs> that that's the ideal that i think we would, would all agree on um but that's not the world we live in uh so we have to interpret things now when you're saying you know the supreme court i think a lot of people have maybe possibly valid criticisms of that judgment that you shouldn't be able to force states and courts or whoever to to po- give that positive right of issuing a marriage license and that may be true, but let's just push push that to the side for a minute because I don't think it's the, the most clear cut one. Let's try to look at something a little more clear cut. Um, we could look at the uh, the Tom Woods stumper question that that I brought up to Tom Woods uh, way back when he was back on the show. I'll of course link to that as well uh, in today's show notes, lionsofliberty.com slash two seventy eight. But in that case, I asked Tom, Tom. You are obviously, you know, against the war on drugs. Let's just say this is not the way things are going, obviously. Obviously, that we're seeing the war on drugs be curtailed at the state level and fought more so, although less as of late, but mostly fought at the federal level. Um, but basically, I, I said, what if one day the federal government said, it's over. We're ending the war on drugs. We're, we're eliminating the DEA. We are literally done with this drug war. We've, we've totally come to our senses. It's over. Um, and all the states are like, great. We, we were getting over this thing too. But there's one state. There's one state out there. Oklahoma, maybe. And they are saying no. Sorry to Oklahomans out there. I'm sure you're lovely people. I just chose your state at random. Alabama. Um, that's another one. Alabama. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Oklahoma. <laughs> the fictional state of Oklahoma has decided no. We're going to rage a, du- a Duterte-style drug war. We're going to be like that guy in the Philippines because we don't agree with this federal th- ruling that the war on drugs is over. No, no, no. The war on drugs is on. And they waged the worst war on drugs we've ever seen at any point. Is there any point where people will say, okay, it's actually just for someone to come in and stop this? If they're going around in neighborhoods and just pulling people out of homes, throwing them in jail, shooting families because they have, you know, pot plants, is there any point where it is okay for an organization, be it the federal government or otherwise, to physically stop this action. And I don't see how the answer can be anything from a libertarian perspective. But yes, of course, there is a point where you must stop these atrocities. Well, there's there's lots. Yeah, obviously, you would think just the way you laid that out. I've seen it laid out like that in in discussions on on the Facebook in our forum and elsewhere. And there are people out there that value the decentralization of power, just assuming that Oklahoma or Alabama is going to work it out on their own and it's not going to last. And it's easier to fight back. I think the theory is easier to fight back against that one state from within the state than it would be to fight back against the federal government that t- that takes that has that authority. 
But obviously, I'm I'm not on that side. I'm I value individual rights, like I think both of you do, individual rights over state rights. So I would be all for a federal government or another organization coming in and putting a stop to you know a violation of individual, a blatant violation of uh, in, individual rights. So I think that's pretty clear cut. But there are a lot of libertarians that they have this hate of the state, hate of the government that they cannot even imagine a scenario where something like that could happen. And by the way, I think this is actually a plausible scenario for what could happen as the drug war winds down. And it has started off, like you said, with states you know, nullifying the drug laws. But as we get down to it and the federal government realizes the direction it's going, I could definitely see it happening with a couple states putting their foot down and saying, no, you know, our, the people in this state want to continue to keep this drug or that drug or all drugs illegal – and we're going to keep it that way. And I would be for the federal government coming in and defending individual rights. If that makes me a... You know, to be clear, you're not saying the federal government should therefore wage war on Oklahoma and, yeah, and I'm not the saying towns that. and cities. Because that, that's what everyone jumps to when, when we suggest that there should be some authority. And it's not that there's authority in our – I think that we, things get really murky because we have our present situation where we have coercive government at every level, local level, state level, federal level. It's all coercive. The taxation is coercive. Whether you're a citizen or not is coercive. I can't even leave this country and denounce my citizenship. I have to pay money to do that and still pay taxes for like 10 years. I mean, we don't live in anything close to an ideal, voluntary, whatever, libertarian-ish society. We really don't. But let's imagine we did, and we had a similar structure. Let's imagine we had a bunch of people that had private property. A lot of them form communities. Those communities come together into what you might call cities or city-states. And maybe some of them craft local rules about their roads, about their, you know, their water supply, whatever. Voluntarily, everybody. Don't call me a statist, please. And then some of those communities band together for a common defense. Yeah, they they decide we want to have a, a, a police force. You might call those communities all coming together states, and you might have a bunch of states all around each other that actually say, "Hey, look, we want to have a an a, an arbiter, a, a higher level of government that we all agree to. That we all agree this is who's going to settle any disputes between us. Uh, they're just going to make sure that things are are flowing nicely. Uh, whatever. I don't know what the agreement would actually be in a voluntary society, but the point being. To me, the, the, the issue is not the structure itself or even the size itself of the government. It is the, it is what's behind it. What philosophy is behind it? How is it formed? Is it based on private property? Is it based on the concept of defending individual rights? If those answers are yes, I can't say I really give a crap what the size, quote, size of the government is. Am I making any sense? I would, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. It makes perfect sense to me, but for, for what it's worth, I don't know. Look, I've known I, you for a long time. <laughs> I, I'm glad you think I make sense. That's all the validation I need. Case closed. Podcast over. Um, but I, I think – and I get why libertarians are so attached to the states' rights issue because practically speaking, states' rights y- – utilizing states' rights as a tool has been beneficial. It has been beneficial in fighting back against the drug war. Um, it, it has been be- – but, but I mean I, let's use another issue besides the drug war for a minute because some people might not think that's as important a thing as I do. But – I'm pretty sure everybody agrees that slavery is wrong. 
And look, libertarians, I've had Tom DiLorenzo on this show. I agree with his analysis that the North and Abraham Lincoln did not fight the war, uh, the Civil War, necessarily over slavery. However, for some major plantation owners in the South and state governments that did support slavery, for some of them, it was about slavery. So I, I don't agree with the Civil War. I don't agree with the way it was waged. But the the, the concept of a fe- of a government coming in and stopping people from owning slaves. I have no problem with that at all. If that was really all it was about, you know, whatever. I'm not challenging the revisionist history that so many of us in the libertarian community have learned. However, and what, what libertarian could possibly argue? No, that's too much power. They shouldn't, you shouldn't be allowed to prevent people from owning slaves. That's a state's rights issue. And you may call that ridiculous, but to me, that's, that's the same thing. It's the same thing as throwing someone in jail for owning a pot plant and, and owning a slave. What's the difference? You're, you're, you're severely violating someone's individual rights. Mm-hmm. And if someone is having their rights violated, stop them. They should be allowed to be stopped. I don't care what freaking badge the person has on yeah. or what higher level of government they have, they are t- t- associated with. And that, and that is, this is a huge problem. I, I think that this Nicholas Sawark, Ron Paul spat, I'll say it again, <laughs> did bring up a huge problem in the liberty movement where a lot of people really haven't put the time in to really think about these situations. Think, think, think about situations where individual rights is going to trump state, states' rights. Situations where, say, the state of Ohio says that they're going to institute, institute slavery again. That is it okay if the federal government comes in and puts a stop to it? If the state of Ohio is, you know, allowing it to happen? Yeah, there's no problem with that. I, I have no problem with it. I mean, but there are a lot of libertarians that do and think that somehow that's going to lead to more ter- tyranny rather than the direct tyranny that's already happening to individuals in the state of Ohio. Well, here, here's the argument that I, I think we hear a lot. It's that, oh, well, you just can't give that give that kind of power to a tyrannical institution and you may as well want world government if you're going to say that. But that's a straw man. That's not what any of us are saying. That's not what... It's certainly not what Nicholas Sawark is saying. We're saying defend individual rights consistently at every level of government. I'm not saying you have to be involved in the federal government. Maybe states should secede, and, and that's fine. <laughs> but I, that, but if you're going to have a federal government, and the task of the government should be to – the only task of government, as far as I'm concerned, should be to defend the rights and property of its citizens. And you can't just have a state become a total tyranny and just you know toss people in jail. And obviously we have constitutional amendments now and, and the 14th Amendment and all that stuff, so you, the state couldn't actually legally institute slavery. I get that. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's, all, it's all hypothetical. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah, we're throwing that stuff out the window just principles here we all know that there's practical difficulties with anything here Uh, but but when we're just talking about principles and people are getting upset about the idea that that states rights in and of itself in in and of you know in its own bubble states rights is not a libertarian small l position and it's not and i don't know how anyone can say it is i really don't and but isn't that the isn't that the point, Mark? If you're all about 100% in on states' rights, who cares about the 14th Amendment? That's the point. It's not worth that the paper the it's written on, you know, because a state should theoretically be able to uh, supersede that and say, well, you know, I don't think we're going to follow that 14th Amendment anymore because we don't want to. It's too much power. And look, I, I mean, I, I am not a 14th Amendment expert. I've seen people argue about it this way and that, but... At the end of the day, there, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's part of what makes states not able to institute slavery again, essentially. 
And I don't, I don't see how you can argue about the legalities and Supreme Court rulings and whatever, how it was ratified. I don't really care. But uh, I, I don't see how you can argue against that concept. I mean, is anybody actually going to stand here and say, no, a state should actually be able to institute slavery if they so choose, and the federal government should not be able to stop them because that's just, quote, too much power? Who the hell is going to argue that? And I don't look at the war on drugs any differently because the war on drugs is a state of slavery. They're putting people who happen to own certain plants in slavery. Many of them are working for corporations at slave – I guess it's not technically a slave wage. I guess that's a, you know, a contradiction in terms, but barely above slave wages, barely above zero. So to me, it's not even that, it's not even that crazy of an analogy. It's, it's, it's modern-day slavery. Taxation is theft. I just want to add that in in case we were losing some listeners that were getting mad at us. <laughs> in case anyone wants to call me a globalist shill, <laughs> as someone actually did in a Ron Paul Institute uh, on, on their Facebook page, called me a globalist shill. I, I, I suspect it could have been in jest, though. And either way, I take it as a compliment. So whatever. <laughs> Thanks for listening either way. <laughs> You're really not making an impact until someone calls you a globalist shill. That's- I agree. Mark Clare is a globalist shill. He's been working for the New World Order for years to cultivate globalism in the libertarian movement by super male vitality today. That was my Alex Jones, for anyone that didn't know. (laughs) Speaking of sponsorships, hey, why don't we just take a quick break, give a word to today's sponsors, and then we'll come back and maybe take some mailbag questions. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton, and if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com, or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. Hey everyone, the Johnny Rocket Launchpad is Liberty. Each week we strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, experts, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check us out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com. You can hear me, Kurt Nelson, and the beautiful Heather Nixon talk about the ideas of liberty, rock and roll. All right, and we are back here once again at the Lions of Liberty podcast. We just had, I I guess we can't really call it a debate because I think we were all pretty much on the same page on this one, but there is somewhere you can come to debate our conversation about the issue of states' rights, about the quote-unquote Sawark Paul Flap. You can do that. You can join this conversation. You can tell us that we're globalist shills over at our private Facebook group, the Lions of Liberty Forum. You can join that just by typing Lions of Liberty Forum in your Facebook search bar. It should pop right up as long as you look like a real person and not some kind of strange Nigerian prince. And I've gotten a few of them. I just actually denied one today. And if you were a real Nigerian prince, please PM me. And I'm sorry, I'll get you in there. But as long as you look like a regular old libertarian-ish possibly person that belongs in the group, we'll get you right in to join the conversation. You can also tweet to us. You can tweet your hate our way uh, at Lions of Liberty over on the Twitter. And uh, we're going to do something right now. Guys, are you uh, are you ready to do a little mailbag? You've never done this with me. I've only done it once so far. The brand new mailbag yeah, segment. I think so. Should I be scared? What, what are the questions like? Are they, you don't are know. they hard? You're not going to know till I, till I reach into the, ma- the bag and pull it out. 
We're going to find out. We are working on a, a, a name for this mailbag segment. This is the only the second edition. I don't have a name. I want to come up with some kind of jingle. I don't know. I, I, I'm working on it. I'm a busy guy. But uh, for now, I guess we'll just call it. The only suggestion we got was Letters of Liberty. And uh, I'm going to take it, actually, for now. Because uh, it's, it, still, it still goes with the LOL. So for now, it's just going to be Letters of Liberty instead of Lions of Liberty. So maybe, maybe that's what we'll go with. We'll see. If anyone has other suggestions, feel free to spit them out there. But uh, our first Letter of Liberty... This one comes from Jessica Gore, and she asks, Do you think it's wise to, quote, never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity, end quote, when it comes to the actions of political leaders? I have a tendency to agree with that statement to a degree. Um, a lot, maybe it's the, the cynic in me, and maybe, I, I, you know from our, our private speakings, that I'm, a, I'm very much an anti-conspiracy guy versus a conspiracy guy. I tend to uh, – I don't tend to attribute a lot of – the only term I can think of right now is fuckery going on with the government based on some type of in, inherent malice or some cabal that's like actively trying to undermine the individual rights of the people. I think a lot of it boils down to naivety and stupidity. A lot of the things that we see in people who don't really have maybe the skills or the background to um, – really um, really make sound decisions on certain things are given these roles and they make a lot of mistakes. I think a lot of the things that they do are in fact mistakes just based on ignorance. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the key part of this quote is, uh, I'm not sure even where it's a quote from, I've heard it a bunch before, but uh, is that which can adequately be explained by stupidity. So you, you look at that first, and then you can look for malice. But I also think you can't, I don't know, I think in government and a lot of the stuff we see today, some stuff is like, to me, just so obviously malice and, and obvious. I mean, you, you'd have to just think that the, the politicians that got to extreme positions of power are l- just the dumbest people ever if, if some of the stuff was to be malice. I mean, j- just look at the Iraq war. I mean, are, are we really going to look at that and think that there was no malice involved there? Like, everyone would just want to do the right thing, and they just, oh, they just got some bad intel, and no, oh, it just, oh, we, oh, we're such little goofs. Derp, the derp, the derp. Sorry, we killed a million <laughs> people in the country. I mean, well, I, 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 said, <laughs> I said to a certain extent, right, yeah. right. Like, to a certain extent, there's a lot of things that there's a lot of backroom dealings and things that people profit on. That tends to swing their, um, I guess, their positions in a certain way that would, on the surface, not make any sense. But you don't know that, lo and behold, they are somehow profiting from this position. That occurs a great deal as well. But I feel like there's more of a mixture of the two than certain people give credit for. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, we shouldn't assume either. Oh, do you have any thoughts on this one? If, if, uh, I don't know, Scott Adams just popped in my mind and he – I've read some of his stuff. I haven't read uh, his books yet, but I plan on it. And he talks about having people are naturally irrational. And through through my uh, short time uh, in life and, and working uh, for the last, I don't know, 10 or 12 years, whatever it's been, I've noticed that most people, I think, are pretty incompetent in, in what they do. And this goes up to people at even the highest levels of, of companies and People in the highest levels of government are the same. But that's not to say, like you guys are saying, that there are people involved who are nefarious characters who take advantage of, of that incompetence. So I, I don't think everyone is, is irrational out there, as Scott, Adams, um, as Scott Adams believes. And there's more behind that, I, I think. I just haven't, haven't uh, read into it enough. But I think there are bad actors that are taking advantage of that irrational thinking that, 
that incompetence. I think there's bad actors that take advantage of the stupidity of many other people below them. How about that? Combine yeah, both. I would agree with that. It's a grand theory. It unites the yeah, whole that, thing. Yeah, that's for certain. You know, that that's that's pretty much like a law of the universe, I feel. It's been going on since people have been, you know, crawled out of the muck, I feel. All right. All right, let's move on to another letter of liberty here. You know, I'm starting to like it already, actually. Uh, this one is from Zach, and I might mess up your name. Val, or there's an H before the Val. There, it's H-V-A-L, so I, I don't know. Zach Haval? I doubt you pronounced the H. That doesn't seem right. I'm sorry, because either way, I've slaughtered your name one way or the other. But <laughs> Zach asks, with the recent golden shower incident, the CIA and media have once again proved incompetent. Should we keep or scrap the CIA? And he adds a note here. It costs taxpayers about $80 billion a year to operate. Uh, I have thoughts, but I'll let Odie take a stab first. That's it, just eighty billion. Well, that's, that's not too bad. Uh, yeah. That's but that's what's on the book. You know, there's like dark money all oh, yeah. over the place. They're selling drugs on the side and making money, and who knows? You know, uh, the the way that our government is is structured right now today, you know, I don't think you can just pull out our intelligent agencies and do away with them. I mean, we would be destroyed by cyber warfare. But to address Zach's question. Yeah, I think uh, this report coming out and being treated as a reputable, you know report is is pretty ridiculous well, i guess I, I shouldn't say it's being re- treated by the intelligence agencies as being uh you know accurate or or you know enough reputable. to tell the president and president elect about it <laughs> is but I, i'm not sure if that's true i've seen conflicting reports on that okay i, I don't know if, if it actually was presented to them or not we don't want to become the fake news so we'll just yeah. say that we're not exactly sure of all the details and, and i mean buzzfeed you know buzzfeed posted it and said this could all be just crap but it's been circulating around the media and the intelligence agencies, so we think the American people should see it. Well, you know what else is so, funny about the intelligence agencies and, and that like disclaimer when they put out that that you know how Russia hacked the election report. The the first sentence of that was basically this is for entertainment purposes and don't take it seriously. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's that's that that's basically what the legalese said. It said this is for informational purposes and we cannot verify basically basically they're saying we don't know if this is real and we're not even really saying it is, but here's this paper. <laughs> Just get it through your head, Mark. The Russians influenced and hacked the election and they're the only reason why Donald Trump is president. Get through your head. Sorry, that's liberal. Jumped out and just yelled in the mic. I'm sorry. That was Johnny Liberal, his alternate <laughs> personality. JB, what do you think? CIA, scrap it, keep it, grow it. No, I don't. I don't think you could just throw out the CIA right now. Probably not they, overnight. Yeah, exactly. The thing is, they, the CIA is one of what 17 intelligence agencies. Do you need that many? I have no idea what they all do, so I can't say. I'm sure there's a hell of a lot of redundancy there, but you know, like like. Like John mentioned, there's a lot of foreign entities who I'm I'm assuming the CIA is keeping tabs on that could potentially disrupt our business interests and our infrastructure and things of that nature that the CIA is in charge of. And just to, you know, completely kick them out the door overnight would probably not be a good idea. I think we need to separate things out a little bit because to the extent that a government is going to exist, especially in our modern society, yeah, whatever that government is probably should have some kind of intelligence that's looking into, 
you know, other threats, uh, you know, security issues, cybersecurity. Not against any of that. That's all great. But what has the CIA really been doing for most of its history? They've been overthrowing governments, uh, rigging elections in other countries, the very thing that Russia is accused of trying to sort of do. Basically, what's funny is that, uh, this is as an aside, the Russia, the, basically the, the Russia report basically didn't even talk, it mentioned the hacking, but there's no evidence there. But then the, the other gist of the report and what James Clapper is talking about is that they're basically saying because they have RT, Russia Today, and they covered third parties and, and covered Donald Trump and said negative things about Hillary Clinton on their network, that's how they rigged the election. Through this, through the Russia tit, Russia Today network, which is just I just find hilarious because there's something called Radio Free America, Radio Free Europe. We have prop, literal arms of the government that are only tasked with propaganda, and the CIA has a history of overturning elections, of overthrowing leaders. It's literally all the agency has done. So I find it hilarious that there's any kind of outrage at the idea that Russia is using a TV network to cover third parties and cover Gary Johnson or whatever, and that, that's the argument for how they hacked the election. But anyway. We used to just call that news. Yeah. Now it's like a plot to overthrow the American government. Oh, yeah, because is- they reported on Hillary's emails. That's how they hacked the election. Because they had Jesse Ventura on there talking about conspiracy theories. Well, let me tell you something, John. I pretty much roar every single day, and I'm on Russia Today now, and there ain't anything more American than Jesse the Body Ventura. I, I don't know if there's any it's like a little bit of Hulk, a little bit of Jesse Ventura, maybe. <laughs> that's, that, that's a lot of Hulk. I don't know. If there's, I'm not sure if there's any difference between my Jesse Ventura, my Alex Jones, and my Hulk Hogan. I think they're the same exact voice, but... I'm working on it. I'll also link to my interview with Jesse Ventura over there at the show notes for today's show. Once again, you can find that over at lionsofliberty.com slash 278. I hope you enjoy our little dive into the mailbag, into the letters of liberty today. I hope you um, have determined that we are all globalist shills from our earlier conversation. If you want to tell us, again, come over to the Lions of Liberty forum. You can also tweet to us at Lions of Liberty. You can shoot me an email. My name is Mark. M-A-R-C. No K in there, folks. You can email me, Mark, M-A-R-C, at lionsofliberty.com. And if you still like this show after we just totally became globalist shills, I encourage you to subscribe. Hit that subscribe button over on iTunes, over on Stitcher Radio, over on Google Play, over on YouTube, if you like to listen that way. Some people like the YouTube. That's why we put our stuff there, too. We are just all over the place. It's been fun, guys. JB, Odie, I thank you for joining me for this fun little chat today and of course come back and tune in again this wednesday for brian mcwilliams and electric liberty land until then folks live long and And live free. free